0: what now how many believe that how many believe there is a king among us who is worthy of all of our praise of all of our worship because he is king of kings and Lord of Lords come on and give God praise in this place today because he is worthy let's pray father We can sing of your goodness forever and ever because you've just been that good. Thank you for keeping us through our trials, for comforting us through our sorrows, for being a friend that sticks closer than any brother, for being the lifter of our heads, the comforter of our souls. Thank you for being our joy giver, our peace. Thank you for being our savior, sovereign ruling forever and ever. And thank you that one day you will return And all of sin and evil will be defeated before you. And we long for that day. We wait for you to crack that midnight sky. But until then, we will give you praise forever because you are worthy, regardless of our circumstances or all that's going on around us. We will give you praise. In Jesus' mighty and matchless and magnificent name, we pray. And all of God's people said a big amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Amen. You could be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm fired up. I always am on Baptism Sundays. And to know that baptisms are happening across all of our campuses. How many praise God for lives that are being changed uh, today? And how many remember? When he changed your life, never forget that. Never get to a place where you're so far in your walk with Jesus that you forget where he brought you from. I'm so grateful that he turned my life around, and I want the world to know him, because I know this, that if you encounter the living Christ, you will never be the same again. He will make all things new, and I praise God for that. You know, I also want to thank you for your generosity in giving us unto the Lord. When I was listening to our sister Inez's testimony of watching us for, a year online. I couldn't help but to think there are times where some of you may wonder, well, where does my giving go? And I think that's a fair question. Can I just celebrate three places your giving goes? First, I wanna celebrate the fact that it goes to all of this equipment. You know, if it wasn't for this equipment, we wouldn't be able to speak to our friends that are at home. For one year, because of the pandemic, she watched us from home. But God, through those uh, cameras and these microphones over the airwaves, we're able to touch her heart, penetrate her heart with the goodness of God's grace. How many praise God for her salvation today? Amen? I just want to say this. Over the past month, 42 individuals have reached out to us online saying, I want prayer. I want to connect with you. I want to learn more about Jesus. How many praise God for that? Pastor EJ also mentioned that this month we were able to help 3,000 families in Michigan that are struggling with homelessness, displaced. Uh, There are many, and many of the agencies reached out to us saying, can you help? And we were able to do that because of your generosity. And the third thing that I'm really excited about is that this week, anybody been watching the tragic events of what's been happening in Texas? Anybody been watching that? Just almost unbelievable that this is happening. And so we were reached out to, can you help? And I'm grateful that we were able to uh, disperse emergency funds that we have in our missions budget because of your generosity that enables us to respond in moments like this, quickly and swiftly. And today, through one of our partners in Houston, Texas, we're distributing fresh water to families who need it there. And I wanna say thank you for your generosity. How many praise God for that? So today, I want to ask you to just to be faithful in your giving as unto the Lord. It may be easy to kind of take a week off or a month off and think, well, others will make up for it. But the fact of the matter is, is that God's commands are to us individually. So please, either in your standard giving or God may be speaking to your heart to give in a special way, please do that so that we can meet the practical and the spiritual needs of um, the community we serve in and the world around us. Amen? Well, I'm really excited to be able to continue on in God's Word. Last week, Pastor Caesar really filled in uh, for me and did a marvelous job kicking off this new series that we are in as we study biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy is one of the uh, earmarks of divinity for the Word of God. It is the fact that the Bible, over and again, predicts and then fulfills, predicts and then fulfills, that tells us that this is more than just a human book. As a matter of fact, scholars will tell us that there are over 44 prophecies specifically connected to just the birth of Jesus. The probability of those prophecies all coming together in one moment and being fulfilled is minute. But the fact of the matter is, is over and again, the Bible does that. And so today, I'm really excited to continue on this series in biblical prophecy, but not just any biblical prophecy, prophecy concerning the end times. You know, most people over the past year, especially, but maybe even beyond that, have seen the magnitude of the events around us a global pandemic, economic crises, rising hostility towards the church. And they begin to ask the same question Is this the end times? Well, I believe that we don't have to wait to read USA Today or watch CNN. We have a better news report. How many thank God for the inerrant, infallible, eternal word of the living God? How many praise God for his word? Jesus leaves it for us, so let's look to it, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to uh, focus the bulk of our attention today. And in Matthew 24, uh, Pastor Steve began and carried us through the first 14 verses. The series is simply entitled, What Now? What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Our tomorrow, our vision for the future, our belief in the uh, credibility of the Word of God, our anticipation of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy should prepare us and shape the way we live today. Now, what was the heart of biblical prophecy? It is to make sure that we're not surprised. I don't know about you, but I hate surprises. I don't like surprise birthday parties. I don't like surprise gifts. And I've been telling my wife this for 23 years, but yet and still she is dogged determined to try to surprise her husband. How many out there are like me and don't like surprises? How many like to know what's coming on the horizon? Well, birds of a feather flock together, and I would feel a little bit guilty about not liking surprises if it wasn't for the fact that I believe our God is is similar. I believe that God wants us to know what lies ahead. That's why he tells us what lies ahead, so that we will not be surprised. Yes, there are some cataclysmic and cosmic events. Events of the magnitude of which the world has never seen that lie on the horizon. But God tells us these things. Why? Because he wants us to know he's in control. When those things come, he wants us to have peace. But Jesus gives this prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 concerning future events to warn us as well. To warn us of what? Well, verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4 tells us the first warning. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Why does he tell us what lies ahead? Because he doesn't want us to fall for conspiracy theories. Maybe he's anticipating that the world would grow in the multitude of its conspiracy theories. And now, in the age of Google and the internet and social media, it seems like everybody has a microphone to tell us their theory of what's going to happen in the last days. But my friends, you don't have to Google it. You don't have to listen to everyone who has a radio show or a platform or some social media following. You can look to the word of the living God as your guide. Let this be your tour guide through not only these days, but the days to come. Then in verse number uh, 12, he warns us against something else that is going to happen in the last days. It says, "...and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will wax or grow cold." Not only does he wanna warn us against conspiracy theories, he wants to warn us against coldness of heart. In other words, as you see these end time events happening for the world, that's gonna make them more bitter, but for you, it should make you more compassionate. It shouldn't make you more self-centered. It should make you more of a good news people in a bad news world. How many thank God do we have the best news ever? That Jesus is with us no matter what comes our way. That he is Emmanuel, never leaving never forsaking us. Do you think your neighbor needs that good news? In the midst of all that's happening in this age, do you think your family needs that good news? Your coworkers need that good news? That's exactly what the end times are supposed to do for us. The more we see these labor pains, these contraction pains, these difficulties, it should lead you and I to be good news people, full of compassion, compelled by love, for our neighbors, our friends, and our networks, so that we fulfill verse number 14. What does verse number 14 say Uh, for us? It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I remember being 16 years old, hearing a preacher preach about the end times. His his sermon was simple, come Lord Jesus, come. And I was so offended by it, I kept thinking, man, I don't even have my driver's license yet. I haven't been to prom, I haven't gotten married, no kids yet, I'm not looking for Jesus to come. Fast forward almost uh, 30 years later, and what is my sermon? Come Lord Jesus, come. The older you get, the more you want to see the day of the Lord. How many want to see Jesus coming back? How many would gladly trade the fallenness of this world for the glories of heaven? How many are looking forward to a day where there will be no more suffering, no more pain? That's what we have to look forward to. Now, how do we hasten that day to come? He just told us, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end comes as we fulfill our obligation and mission to proclaim the world, uh, word of the Lord here and abroad to the ends of the earth. If you want to know when the end of the age comes, it's when we are faithful to the ends of the earth. and We hasten the day. Now, the verses 15 through 28 is what we look at today. And in these verses, what we want to uh, see is that Jesus doesn't want us to be surprised. It's as if he is saying, Don't be surprised, suffering is coming. Don't be surprised, suffering is coming. And why does he tell us about suffering? It's because he wants us to be aware, and he also wants us to be sober. He wants us to find comfort in his words. Let's look at verses 15 through 21, and what we're going to find here is this promise. That suffering will come, know that suffering will come. Look at verse 15. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a, be great tribulation such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Jesus is very precise and very detailed in his explanation of what is to come. When he tells them that tribulation will come, he wants them to be able to be clear on the type of tribulation that is to come. And so he references the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is one of the uh, major prophets in our Bibles, and uh, Jesus knows that when he refers to this abomination that causes desolation for Jerusalem, that his hearers would quickly know what he was referring to. Now, the book of Daniel is where we need to understand, as he says here in verse number 15, let the reader understand. He's particularly referencing Daniel. Now, Daniel four times in his book refers to this abomination that causes desolation. Now, the word abomination means simply something that is grossly wicked something that will turn your stomach, something that is detestable. And spiritually speaking, this is exactly what he's referring to. It happened uh, previously in the life of Israel, previous to this prophecy. If you could, please keep your fingers there, and let's go back to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And uh, the B part of verse 11 is what I want you to see. Now Daniel uh, writes some of the most vivid imagery of biblical prophecy uh, recorded in the Old Testament. Daniel is writing about something that is on the intermediate horizon for the nation of Israel. He is writing in the days after Alexander the Great had conquest and expanded the Roman Empire. But after his demise, without an heir, the Roman Empire is divided up into four subsections. One of these uh, subsections would have a ruler that would arise that would persecute the Jews uh, fiercely. His name was Antichus. Epiphanes Antichrist Epiphanes was uh, a ruler who despised the worship of the Jewish God, Yahweh. And so what does he do? Well, it tells us what he does in the B part of verse number 11. And it says, And regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. This is what Antichus Epiphanes did. He came in the second century BC and he overthrew the temple of Jerusalem, the place of worship for the Jews. He erected on the altar built to God an altar built to Zeus. And there he commanded that swine would be sacrificed unto him as God. Now, I don't have to tell you what uh, the Jews think about swine or pig, but here this desecration is happening. He also turns the temple into a brothel. And so there is sexual sin and pagan worship and all types of desecration. And this was a wicked abomination. Ultimately, he enslaves the Jewish people. And Jesus says then, going back to uh, chapter 24, verse 15, he says there is another abomination that will cause great desolation on the horizon. There's another one coming. Now to understand this prophecy you need to understand also the under, uh, the type of fulfillment that often happens with biblical prophecy this sense of dual fulfillment there'll be a short term fulfillment and then a long term fulfillment Jesus is ultimately pointing to the end times, and the rise of the Antichrist. But in the short term, this was fulfilled in A.D. 70, where Jerusalem was absolutely ransacked by Titus, the emperor, and there was great persecution, the death of the Jews, more desecration to the temple. But what Jesus wants us to understand, and the reason why it's been recorded and preserved for us in Scripture, is that there will rise an even worse one. The Antichrist, the embodiment of Satan himself. These other two were just uh, typological figures, if you will, but the ultimate prediction is seen for us in 2 Thessalonians. Can you turn there quickly with me? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it says, let no one deceive you in any way. Again, it's a warning against conspiracy theories. For... That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. What day? The day of the return of the Lord. And the rebellion and the, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition or destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Once again, there will be uh, one who rises who will go to Jerusalem, set himself up in the temple of God, and declare himself to be God. That is on the horizon. The type of evil that we have never yet seen in the world is on the horizon. So why does he tell us? Why does a a parent tell a child that something bad is about to happen? Has anybody ever been here as a parent? Have you ever had a moment where maybe you were taking your kids to the doctor And you knew they were going to get a shot, and you knew it was going to hurt, but you wanted to tell them in advance that, okay, we're going to go to the doctor, and you're going to get a shot, and it's not going to feel good for a moment, but it'll be good after that. Any parent ever done that before? Come on, raise your hands. Or any parent ever had to take a a tooth out of your child's mouth? No parent should have to do that. We should be able to hire professionals for that. But you ever had to take a tooth out, and you knew it was going to hurt them for just a moment, and you said, hey, hold on to my hand. I'm going to yank this tooth out. It's already wiggly and coming out a little bit. i want to yank it out, but then you're going to be okay. Any parent ever had to do that before? Those who rose their hand, they're the tough parent. My wife always handles that heavy lifting for us, right? And so why do you do it? Why do you do it? So that when it comes, they'll be prepared. So that when it comes, they won't be overwhelmed. So that when it comes, they'll remember your words. They'll say, oh, yeah, Daddy told me that. Oh, yeah, Mommy told me that this was going to happen. But they also told me it was going to be okay. This is Jesus being not just Lord and sovereign Savior. This is him being Papa, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is him telling his followers, yes, there are evil days that are going to come and they will be judgment on the world, but I will preserve you. And what is the response that we should have throughout this whole passage? Do you get the sense of urgency again and again? Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. You know, Jerusalem, if you've ever been there, if you've seen old replications of the city of Jerusalem, the houses were very close to one another, and in the cool of the day, they would go on top of the rooftop, but you could literally jump from one to the other to the other and not uh, miss a beat. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, if there's something down in the house, when that type of uh, destruction comes, when you see the abomination that makes desolation, don't go back. Have a sense of urgency. If you're out in the field, don't even go back and grab your cloak or your iPad or your tablet or your Apple Watch. Don't go back. Don't worry about earthly things. Don't be so tied to those things. You be focused in with a sense of urgency, of listening to my voice, hearkening and obeying what I told you to do. What did he tell us to do? Verse 14 again. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Yes, we will see severe days of persecution, but that should increase a groundswell of compassion within us that provokes and compels us to share the gospel with more urgency than we ever have before and even more as we see the day approaching. He doesn't tell us that suffering will come to overtake us. He tells us that suffering will come so that we might be comforted and reminded of the seriousness of our responsibility and call before God. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, "'Suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us even in the fire.'" Even in the fire, God is with you. Jesus tells them all of this, but he also comforts them by letting them know, I will be with you. Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me really quickly. But Romans chapter 5 gives us these words of comfort as well. In verse number 3, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. We don't just rejoice when suffering is absent, but even in our suffering we rejoice, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at what suffering should do for us. Suffering should produce within us a hope. You know, these last several weeks have been painful for our family, and we have gone through days of sadness and grief. But the thing that I was reminded of, even in praying with my wife, is that the Bible tells us we don't grieve like those who have no hope, even in our sad moments, even in the difficult days. How many praise God that he is a comforter and he is with us right by our side? How many thank God for the faithfulness of Jesus? No, we have a hope, we have an everlasting hope. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that we would not get spiritual amnesia. Anybody ever got that before? where you have forgotten what God has done. Let me just remind you for a moment. He kept you through your yesterdays. How many can say amen to that? Through your sorrows in the past, he has preserved you. There's been nights when you've wondered uh, if you could have made it. But look at you now. You're here today. And let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And if he was faithful in your yesterdays, guess what you can count on? He who was faithful in your yesterdays will be faithful today and forevermore. Give God praise. But not only do we have a living hope, but this living hope also produces love. This love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and it's love that compels us to be his witnesses if the hostility, growing hostility in our culture towards Christianity is only making you more angry, I suggest to you that you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. If the the resistance to the gospel has only brought out more rage in you, if all of the bad actors in this time have only caused you to get more cynical or more bitter, I suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, you've taken your eyes off of the word of Jesus, because Jesus tells us these things, not for us to grow in cynicism or bitterness or anger, but for us to grow in love so that we might be good news people in a bad news world. He goes on to remind us that we can trust the sovereignty of God even in the face of suffering. Look at verse 22, tucked in the middle of this prophecy about all of this suffering he says, and if those days were, uh, had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. I love that three-letter word, but. Because right in the middle of all of this prophecy, God wants us to know I'm still in control. I, I'm the one who determines the length of those days. I have not turned over or uh, conceded to any of uh, Satan's plans. There is no day that he has surrendered over to our adversary. There is no square inch over all created order that Christ does not rule over or that Christ does not declare mine over every day, over every square inch, over all the affairs of human events, micro and macro. Jesus is Lord. Let me remind you of that. Jesus is Lord. I don't know how much you've been taught on the sovereignty of God. I think some of us kind of live with this kind of sense that, um, yeah, God has some control, but not all control. God has some power, but not all power. In particular, when we face days of suffering, because for us, it's kind of hard to make sense of it all. But I want you to know this that God has control over the things that make sense and over the things that don't make sense. And at the end, we'll all be amazed at the wonders of his wisdom. The sovereignty of God simply means that God is all-powerful, that he does what he wills, when he wills, how he wills. But in the biblical sense of the word, it also means that all that he does is good, That everything God does, in the end, it will all make sense. That all of it was working together for his glory and for our good. What he wants us to know that even in these days, such the like that the world has never seen or never will see, even in those days, he is sovereign. That he is working everything out for our good. And if that is true on the macro level, what does that mean for you and I on the micro level? That when you face disappointments and challenges, it reveals what you believe about the sovereignty of God. When you face things that don't make sense to you and you decide that I'm just not going to praise God, it's because you really have not been grounded in the sovereignty of God. But when you've been grounded in the fact that God is in control and that he does all things well, even when the uninvited, the unexpected, the undesired touches your life, You will lift your hands and you will give him praise because you will be reminded that he is faithful, that he does all things well, and that he is sovereignly in control, and he will not allow evil to overtake me. This, verse 22, is a promise from Jesus to his followers that God will protect you. No human being will be able to survive those days if it were not for God, but But God, in His grace and in His mercy, for the elect's sake, who are the elect? You study that throughout your New Testament. Those are are the ones who have put their faith and their trust in the sovereignty of God and in the testimony of Jesus. Have you done that? Have you done that? Like the the sweet little girl who stood before us today, Tessa, who shared her testimony that at the age of six, she didn't know everything, but she knew enough to put her faith in Jesus. Listen, you may not know calculus. You may not know how those planets are spinning around in the orbits out there. You may not even know how your cell phone works, but you know this, you You know you're a sinner who needs grace and forgiveness, and that grace and forgiveness has come through Jesus Christ. His mercy, His love, it's available for us. We don't have to wander through this world without a Savior, nor should we want to. But today, I encourage you, put your trust in Him, and maybe the best day of your life is when you've come to the end of yourself and you acknowledge. He is God and I am not. We're not in control. The world will teach us that. How many have been reminded of that? When a little virus can shut down the globe, we're reminded that all the king's horses and all the king's men are not in control. When a winter storm can shut down the state that produces the most energy in our union, we're reminded we're not in control. When the events of life happen in a way that you have tried to prevent, you're reminded that you're not in control, but never mistake the lack of your deity for the lack of his deity. He is in control. He is king of kings. And there will be a day that he will come back, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Kings will confess. Rulers will confess that he is Lord. But you don't have to wait for that day. Today can be the day for new life for you. But as it pertains to that day, let's look at it. The rest of the verses are dedicated to that day. He doesn't want us to to be anxious, so he tells us to realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. Look at verses 23 through 28. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What does Jesus want us to know? Jesus wants us to know that in the last days there'll be one more great sign before His coming, and that will be a great deception. There are going to be false Christs, and there are going to be false teachers. And it seems like the internet, as well as social media, only makes that all the more possible. Everybody has a megaphone. Everybody has a platform. But you don't have to follow everyone with a platform. Again, keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, how will you know the difference between false teachers and the real one, false prophets and the real ones. Well, false prophets, in spite of all of their bragging, in spite of the eloquence of their speech, false prophets always lead you to have a deeper fidelity to earthly things, to the things of earth, and less attachment to Christ and his lordship in your life, less attachment to the truthfulness of the word of God as the inerrant guide for life. You know, at this church, at Woodside Bible Church, we believe that all the Old Testament looks to the Christ, the Messiah who was to come, and that all the New Testament declares to us about the Christ, Jesus, who did come, lived a perfect life, died on that cross for our sins, rose with all power in his hands so that in him we might have forgiveness. Don't be fooled. Everything that's supernatural is not of God, if it doesn't point to Jesus, don't believe it. Even if someone comes and says they're a miracle worker, if it doesn't point to Jesus, you reject it. And he says, listen, don't fall for it if they tell you, hey, Jesus has come in some remote place. There he is in the wilderness. Hey, I found this, this man, he says he's Jesus in Tibet. Come, buy a ticket, fly out there with me. If they tell you that, don't buy the ticket. Save your money or your frequent flyer miles. You don't have to worry about that. Or if somebody says, hey, here he is in the inner room, or some private group has begun to gather around some charlatan, some teacher who supposedly is the Messiah that was coming, Jesus says, don't fall for that. Save your money. Don't waste your time. Because when I come back, it will be unmistakable. It will be like lightning from the east that can be seen as far as the west. How many know that when he comes back, the whole earth will know it? How many praise God that when he comes back, it will be unmistakable. When he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus, you are Lord, just as you said you are. So the only question that remains for you and me is have we put our trust in him? Have we put our faith in him? And if you've not done that today, it's time. No more time for wasting. No more time for wasting. Everything is prepared now for the return of Christ. Everything is in place. The events that remain can happen just like that. The stage is already set. So there's no time for delay. And on top of that, even though we may not know when he will come back for us, what we do know is if he delays, all of us have an appointed day with death where we will go to see him. But we don't know that day either. So why wait? So many people woke up yesterday thinking it was just a normal day and they didn't make it to the end. I pray that you do, but if you don't, here's the question Have you made your soul right with the Savior? Have you repented over your sins so that you can avoid the wrath that is to come? These events are frightening events for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. But for the elect, those who have trusted in Christ, it is only a testimony of, of his faithfulness and keeping power. So today, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, it's as simple as you acknowledging your need for a Savior, turning from your sin. Your illusions of being able to save yourself and saying, Jesus, save me. And if you do that, he will. I invite you, if you're in this auditorium, after I close us in prayer, if today you need to give your life to the Lord or come die to the Lord, then you do that. Young or old, you do that today. Also, if you're watching us online, again, over the last month, 42 people have responded to this invitation. I want you to be maybe number 43. If you are watching us, please, if you've never done it before, just type connect or follow the instructions they're given to you for connecting with us in order for you to learn more about Jesus and his grace towards you. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray with you as well because Christ loves you that much. How many thank God for his love and for his grace? Everybody stand. Everybody stand. We're going to close in prayer, and then friends, uh, leaders from our church will be here at the front. and if you want to give your life to Christ, you come, and we'll pray with you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a good father. Thank you that you tell us about the things that are ahead, um, Lord, so that we will be confident when they come. You tell us not to be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We'll present our request to you, and God of peace will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that for my brothers and sisters, and I pray for those who have yet to believe that today you would convince them, as only you can, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit confirming your word. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. May we go in peace and in your grace, and may we proclaim the salvation that is found in you alone until all have heard. Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Go in grace, go in peace, and I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.